I'm Joel Parker, and this is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, August 13th, 2019. Coming up, we talk with a student and a research manager from the University of Colorado about a gleeful project called the Great Lunar Expedition for Everyone that plans to send not one, not two, but hundreds of small spacecraft to the moon by the year 2023. We begin with a look at some of the recent news in science. It's being called the new polio. Acute flaccid myelitis, or AFM, generally shows up as a sudden weakness in the arms or legs. The paralysis can be mild or life-threatening. It often strikes in late summer and mostly targets young children. While still rare, AFM is becoming more common. In 2018, doctors diagnosed over 200 people across the U.S. with AFM. Colorado is one of the epicenters. Researchers have long suspected that an enterovirus similar to the polio virus causes the new disease, but an enterovirus seldom shows up in blood or spinal fluid of someone with AFM. So what does cause the illness? Today, a team led by Columbia University is reporting a breakthrough. Instead of looking for a virus in blood and spinal fluid, the researchers searched for a viral footprint. They tested for an enterovirus antibody. Antibodies are immune cells that our bodies make to target specific invaders. When scientists tested people with acute flaccid myelitis, almost 80% had measurable levels of enterovirus antibody, whereas the antibody did not show up in people who don't have AFM. Know Thy Enemy helps medical researchers find more effective ways to fight disease. Will this finding about antibodies lead to a new polio-like vaccine? Will the discovery help explain why an antibody is present in people with AFM, but the virus is not? Scientists don't yet have those answers, but this promising research is pointing the way. Our solar system formed about four and a half billion years ago, but things weren't always calm and relaxing after that. Sometime a few hundred million years after the formation of the solar system, there was a big change in the orbit of the planets. Models have shown that the large outer planets, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune, originally orbited much closer to the sun, but they disrupted each other, creating a period of chaotic orbits, perhaps even switching relative distances from the sun until they settled in their current configuration. During that period of what is called giant planet migration, the shifting planets scattered the leftover debris from the formation of the solar system, flinging asteroids and comets around to impact other bodies in the solar system, including impacting the Earth and Moon. In a study published yesterday in the Astrophysical Journal by University of Colorado geologist 
Stephen Moyges, and colleagues around the world, that epic of migration and heavy bombardment might have occurred much earlier than originally thought. The ages of rocks brought back from the moon by the Apollo program indicated maximum ages of 3.9 billion years. So some scientists assumed that was around the time of the planetary migration because the intense melting of rocks by the ensuing bombardment would have reset the clock of the ages determined from the rocks. But apparently the ages of the rocks from the moon were biased by a large impact that happened around that time but wasn't part of the heavy bombardment period. The new study looks at ages of meteorites that have landed on Earth as well as other age indicators on asteroids and Mars and now puts the timing of the giant planet migration and heavy bombardment at least 4.4 billion years ago, several hundred million years earlier than other estimates, giving even more time than previously thought for life to get a foothold on Earth. This Thursday evening, August 15th, Denver's Café Scientifique will host a presentation titled Taking Silicon Valley to the Moon. The speaker is Jack Burns, professor of the Department of Astrophysical and Planetary Sciences at the University of Colorado Boulder. Dr. Burns will talk about how, since the end of the Apollo program, the justification for the human space program has proven elusive to some, but how one can make an inspirational approach to the next phase of exploration beyond Earth orbit. He will describe new rockets and landers being developed by NASA and by private companies such as SpaceX and Blue Origin, and that both the Moon and Mars can be explored through a combination of governmental programs, international partnerships, and public-private academic partnerships. The tools for exploration will include telerobotics, where astronauts aboard NASA's Lunar Gateway in orbit around the moon will operate rovers and deploy telescopes on the lunar surface. Everyone is welcome to these Cafe Sci presentations, which take place at the Blake Street Tavern in Denver, close to Coors Field. The talk starts at 6.30 this Thursday night and ends around 8 p.m. Come before 6 p.m. to leave yourself time to get something to eat. You are listening 
to How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Joel Parker. We just recently celebrated the 50th anniversary of the first moon landing by humans. Since then, scientists have returned to the moon with robotic missions because the scientific clues of the moon can provide rich information about the history of the Earth and the solar system, as well as learning more about the environment and resources in preparation for an eventual return of humans, perhaps even for the long term. The journey to the moon and space research often evokes images of large, complex spacecraft costing hundreds of millions of dollars. However, a new project plans to take a new approach, sending hundreds of much smaller and much less expensive spacecraft. This project is called the Great Lunar Expedition for Everyone, or GLEE. And our guests today are here to talk about GLEE, how it'll work, and what science they plan to do. Victor Anderson is a research manager at the Colorado Space Grant Consortium, that is one of the groups leading the project. And Tristan Schumann is a student in mechanical engineering at the University of Colorado at Boulder and is a project manager and mechanical engineer on Glee. Welcome to the show, Victor and Tristan. Thank you. Thank you. Let's just start here with a definition of Glee. Uh, Victor, you want to start off? What is Glee other than being happy? Yeah, well, it, it's a complicated question, actually. Um, the idea of GLEE is it is a science mission to the moon. It's a technology demonstration mission to the moon because we're flying a, a new type of spacecraft. Uh, but it's an education and outreach um, mission as well. You say it's an education and outreach. What do you mean by that? Who's, who's involved? Our hope is that we will involve students at colleges, potentially high schools as well, not only around the United States, but around the world. We'll find out more about how people get involved, but what is your job on Glee? It's an evolving job, but uh, what, I, what I primarily do at Space Grant is I work with student teams working on different projects. So I'm sort of the, the mentor, I guess you, mm -hmm. you'd say. So is that for student teams specifically here at Boulder or among others around the world? Well, um, I work with students here at Boulder primarily, um, but we do have affiliates around the state of Colorado. Mm -hmm. And so I do work with those students as well. And of course, with Glee, now we're going to start working hopefully with students around the world. And what was the glimmer of Glee? How did this project manifest and come to be? The, the project is the brainchild of Chris Kaler, who's the Colorado Space Grant director. And with the with the 50th anniversary of the Apollo landings, he wanted to to do a project that um, went back to the moon, but also went back in a different way, where where not not just a few people landed, uh, but we could realistically say that hundreds or thousands of people were involved and put some something of theirs on the moon. That's really cool. That people can have a piece of the action there, the piece of the lunar action. One of the students involved here is our other guest, Tristan. So, uh, Tristan, uh, what is your involvement in Glee? So, I am primarily the project manager for Glee. So, I try to keep everything going here at Colorado Space Grant 
itself and I try to involve people from around the world and around the country as well. I'm also a mechanical engineer so I work on the structure that would actually deploy these hundreds of tiny spacecraft on the lunar surface once we get there. This must be pretty cool to be an undergraduate and sending things to the moon. Did you come to Colorado thinking you'd get involved in space missions like this so quickly? No, so I'm actually from South Africa, and I had no idea coming to America at all that I would be involved with any missions going to the moon or space whatsoever. Um, that Yeah, it was pretty unfathomable that I'd, that I'd be at the stage where I am right now. How did you get involved? How, how does how does an undergraduate student get involved in being a help manage a mission to the moon? Well, it's no grandiose story, but I worked at Spacecraft for the past two years, and Chris Kaler sent out an application form for Glee this past spring semester, and then I applied, and I got hired onto the team. You say it's not not that exciting a story, but you know, exciting things start from humble beginnings very often. So, so you applied, and you got this position, uh, and you said you you manage people here in other groups. Kind of what does what does that involve? I know Glee is still pretty fresh here, uh, just off the grill, as it were, but uh, kind of what would your day-to-day involve? Yeah, so I, uh, I'd i say primarily I, I try to hold meetings here at, at Boulder itself, um, in-person meetings, and then <clears throat> we're getting people involved that are sending us emails from all over the world, actually, and I'd be replying to those emails, reaching out to them, giving them resources to help them, um, things like that. So that's what I would be doing day-to-day with my project management position. You said these are people all around the world. Are Is it primarily undergraduate uh, students, or do you take any and all comers? Yeah, so we have a few... Oh, okay. We have many undergraduate students that have expressed interest in the um, primarily through our, through our connections ourselves that we have so far. But we also have actually yesterday we had a middle school um, a child that came up to us and said that he's interested, and we also have a lot of high school students that are also interested in the project. I, I would have to say it feels like we are living in the future when a middle school student can be involved in a mission going to the moon. That sense of opportunity for students to be involved in missions like that is is really incredible. I want to understand a little more about the mission. Uh, let's start off with what is being sent to the moon. Uh, you want to take that, Tristan? Yeah, so as you said, these are tiny spacecraft, hundreds of them that we'll be sending to the moon. Um, <clears throat> we termed them Lunasats, and they're, they're effectively five by five centimeter leaf-sized spacecraft that would be sent and landed on the surface of the moon and would conduct what we call distributed science, which means that we have simultaneous measurements in a large area over the surface of the moon, which is advantageous um, because it's at the same time um, rather than a bit a longer time period. So these, these are s- spacecraft that you can hold in your hand? Yes, they're palm-sized. And- so they're just uh, little palm-sized, again, palm-sized spacecraft. These look like electronic boards, basically. What would it look like when I'm holding a Lunasat in my hand? Yeah, so they're made from material called Kapton, so it's orange. So they're actually, uh, they have an orange color to them, and they're essentially just a printed circuit board with components on them that you can see and solar panels. How are you getting them to the moon? So the goal is to send them on a lunar lander, so perhaps these 
uh, companies that have been recruited by NASA to send to the moon or anybody to that extent. So we'd be hitching a ride on their lander, land on the surface of the moon, and then we deploy from their lander with our own spacecraft. So you're you're thumbing a ride to the moon here, basically. So you're taking advantage of a mission that's already planned, has already the the sunk costs and expenses for doing that, and you're piggybacking onto that effectively. That that's a great cost effective way to get to the moon. What does Glee cost, either in the great scale or to the individual teams? The 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 cost um, is is a number we're still working on because we haven't we haven't contracted or you know connected with the landing source yet. But we're expecting that the overall mission costs might be in the neighborhood of ten million dollars, um, maybe a bit more, maybe a bit less. So some of that's for landing, some of it's for the work we have to do on the ground to get ready to land. In terms of cost to teams, our goal is that there is no cost to a team. Right? They don't have to pay. To, to be on there. We we will provide the Lunasats, um, the launch, and wow. so on. So the people involved, the the schools involved, do not have to pay to get to the moon. That's correct, right? Wow, that's, that's really impressive. Uh, I can imagine a lot of interest in that. What kind of lander, and how do you basically distribute the sats on the moon? Do you just shoot them out of a cannon and let them fly down on the <laughs> surface? <or laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I can take that question. So, yeah. um, essentially, so so the growing trend with landers, at least commercially, is that they'd be sending multiple payloads to the moon. So that's where we'd be hitching our ride from. So we'd have our own volume um, allocated and mass allocated. And then we currently have a design where we have a two-part system that the one part stays on the lander and the second part effectively shoots off like a cannon um, or, oh, a, so I was right. or a projectile <laughs> um, from the lander and then that drops the lunar sets as it flies across the lunar surface. Basically, they will be scattered about the surface around where the lander is. Yeah, so current, uh, current estimates are that we'd, have a, we'd cover an area of roughly 300 square meters or 400 square meters. Okay, that's a good chunk. With how many lunar sets are you expecting? The current goal is 500 lunar sets. And, and again, you said you're constrained by volume and weight, which is, those are the constraints you're dealing with when you're going into space. If you have just joined us here, you are listening to How on Earth, the KJNU Science Show. I'm Joel Parker, and with me are Victor Anderson and Tristan Schoeman, who are talking about a project to send several hundred, five hundred small spacecraft called Lunasats to the moon in the next few years. You will have these hand-sized Lunasats that will be distributed on the moon around wherever the lander lands. Um, what science are you expecting them to do? You know, is that is there a, a grand scheme by the Glee program? Does each team pick it? Uh, what, what is the science and how do you coordinate that? Yeah, so science is something we're still currently working on to get that developed fully. Um, we're working with uh, a couple lunar scientists um, here at the University of Colorado Boulder and at NASA Ames um, to develop the science mission um, because we want to do something that's actually been a, that that actually has some scientific worth, as as well as involve people from around the world. So 
we're working on trying to get that developed, but it could go down from something uh, sort of like seismology, or we could measure the local magnetic fields on the moon, hopefully measure water production or characterize what the water uh, concentration is on the moon, anything to that extent. And all of this is done, again, with these palm-sized spacecraft. Do they just have different sensors that different teams can put on them, or how does that work? So the goal is that we'll have a base sensor suite that we would decide on here at, at Boulder um, ourselves that we put on the Lunasats, and then there'd be space on the Lunasats for teams to add their own sensor um, so they can effectively create their own science mission, change the code, program it, um, things to that extent. How will these satellites be powered? Uh, again, you're shooting them off and they land randomly around the surface of the moon. How long will they run? So they're, they're powered through solar panels that we have on the lunar sets on both sides, so it doesn't matter which side they land on, they'd be powered. Um, the current goal for lifetime would be about one lunar day, we're hoping. Um, this obviously is still in a realm that we're not sure about because we don't know if they'll survive the, the lunar night because sure. it gets extremely cold and all the radiation that's on the lunar surface. But our goal is one lunar day. Uh, okay, well, let, let's hope they can survive the night and live for two lunar days. <laughs> How will they communicate their data back to Earth? So the Lunasats have an RF antenna installed on them, so they'd be communicating between each other using RF. And then the, the currently the aim is that they communicate, they, they jump their data between Lunasats, and then that would communicate back to the spacecraft hub that we have on the lunar lander. And then that hub would communicate with the lander, and that would go back to Earth. So you use the local lunar Wi-Fi and then uh, transmit back to Earth. I know this is still early in the project, and there are a lot of challenges. But, Victor, what do you see as the challenges between now and launch? The challenge, there's a number of challenges. There's the technical challenges, which are, I think, easier to see, actually. But doing a project like this where our intention is to engage people around the world and have them active participants is, is to me, probably the most daunting part just because we, at Space Grant, we're used to dealing with uh, teams from around the state or maybe the nation, but we've never done a, across the world. So this is going to be a new challenge for us. And international coordination. I could imagine that being difficult. Uh, do either of you, what do you foresee as far as technical challenges are concerned, or does it seem straightforward and you've got it all all wrapped up? No, I, I definitely don't think we have it all wrapped up at the moment. We're still <laughs> working through a lot of things. Um, the major concern that I can see is, is getting a scientific mission um, done that we can do that would have value to the scientific community. What steps are needed to do between now and launch? Um, so there's a few steps we'd have to develop F finish developing the Lunasats themselves, finish developing the deploy mechanism for shooting them out on the, or dispersing them on the lunar surface, and then the programmatics is a big step that we have to um, set up for firstly, and then um, take people's questions and provide support and things like that. Someone's listening and go, oh, I want to be a part of that. So how can people get involved? So they... The most straightforward way is to go to our website, which is uh, glee2023.org. 
Um, we have a mailing list. We're on social media. Um, but but that's the easiest way. Is if you're at all interested, go on and send us an email saying we're you're interested. All right. Well, I have no doubt you'll get a lot of people interested because the opportunity to go to the moon like this, this doesn't just happen all the time. I think this is a really great project, and I wish you both and your all your teams the best of luck with it. Uh, we have been talking with Victor Anderson and Tristan Showman about the Great Lunar Expedition for Everyone, or GLEE, project that plans to send hundreds of hand-sized spacecraft to the moon by the year 2023. And to find out more about the GLEE project, that URL was glee2023.org. That's G-L-E-E-2023 dot O-R-G. Thank you very much, Victor and Tristan, for being on the show. It's our pleasure. Thank you very much. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Beth Bennett. This week's show was produced and engineered by yours truly, Joel Parker. Additional contributions by Shelley Schlender. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from Jeff Beck. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments? Well, call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Joel Parker.